this computer and um it is now see this is gonna tick me off man if these little stupid emails are showing up on my screen so let me try something before we jump in here i'm gonna kill that and then go to my notifications notifications i got it i've got uh do not disturb yeah all right well hopefully that uh killed that all right my man here we go welcome to tm3 impact my name is tomas martinez and i am the host i am super excited I have a dear friend with me, Sean Brennan, and he is a registered ICU nurse at Methodist Health System. And I am super pumped because he's gonna talk to us about what is going on on the front lines and, and, and just give us some experience. But, but first, Sean, we gotta jump in. I need to know your San Antonio story, my man. A cliff note version, how did you end up in this amazing city? So, uh, I was first here back in 2007 when I joined the army, uh, I was a medic and medics do the training down here. All the San Antonians will know that over at JBSA. Um, and I met my now wife while I was on a little bit of a uh, time off there, uh, before I went to airborne school. And she stuck with me when we started dating all through all of my travels, my deployment, all my different training. Um, moved in with me at Fort Lewis, Washington. And when I left the army, uh, she already was connected down here, had a home, had a career waiting for her. And I didn't have anywhere. I've been kind of a, a vagabond most of my life. So it just made sense to come here and, uh, been here ever since. And boom, San Antonio's home. San Antonio's home. That's awesome. Military, military city, USA. Well, Sean, I'm glad you came to live in San Antonio, my man. I'm glad you were here in this amazing city. And so now you said something that I think is really interesting. Uh, you said this vagabond, you know, kind of a uh, life. I, I, I can't rewind the tape a little bit because you've got some amazing experiences. I, I know personally that you were a commercial diver. Is that right? You did commercial yes. diving. You've got some other experience. Kind of, you got to unpack that a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, uh, I was born in Seattle, but I grew up in Alaska from the time I was a year old. My dad uh, moved up there, and so I spent uh, my whole childhood up there. And when I first left, um, I had it in my head that I was going to be a, a college football player. Um, but I went to high school in Kodiak High School, and we don't have a football team. So I just, I walked on uh, with, with dreams in my head and that didn't, that obviously didn't pan out. I uh, hit the reset button for the first time of many in my life and uh, went to dive school in, um, in Louisiana where I lived for three or four years. Yeah. And then diving burned me out real quick. If, any, if you know anybody that's done it or who's worked offshore in general, it'll burn you out quick. So I stopped that. Uh, met a girl from Houston, moved there for a little bit, um, messed up the better second half of my 20s, just having fun. And it was time to hit that reset, reset again. So I joined the Army. And then uh, that's about where we picked up the start of the story. Yeah. So, so now you go into the military, were you already thinking about uh, going in, in, in terms of me the medic field, the medical field? Were you, is that what you were thinking when you, when you enlisted? That's what I, um, what I, what I wanted to do. 
my father was a, a Green Beret. He was a special forces medic and my mom's a nurse. And so it just, uh, you know, the healthcare aspect of it made a lot of sense to me. Uh, I joined in 2007. So the war had already been going on for a while. People were already getting hurt. And um, I didn't want to be any more of a part of that. I wanted to do something where I could help people, you know, yeah. make it. Well, thank you for your service, my man. That's, that's fantastic, man. Thank you for your service. So here you are, you end up in San Antonio and you are now uh, at, at this point uh, 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 wrapping up school. Is that right? You were here because you, you had finished up, uh, uh, obviously, um, your deployment, your, you, you had combat medic training, but now you're here uh, finishing up school for, to be a registered nurse. Is that correct? So when I, when I left the Army in 2012, we moved here, and I started taking classes at San Antonio College Okay. Um, with the intention of doing something in healthcare. And uh, I, I joined the Texas Army National Guard, leaving, leaving active duty to uh, mostly for uh, the TRICARE for my okay. family. Smart and move. And also for the Hazelwood Act for my son. So, you know, any state school tuition covered when he gets to that age. But... Uh, I got kept getting pulled away for small missions here and there. Uh, I do a couple months on duty, um, helping with an armory, you know, uh, loadout or, uh, you know, teaching CLS classes to some of the infantry units. Um, that's a combat lifesaver class. And uh, I, I just realized I was, I was going to let it keep, you know, I love the army and it was going to keep holding on to me. So I, I just, I nailed it down that I had to, I had to pick a degree. San Antonio college had a great military uh, medic to nursing program. It's an RN program. And, um, you know, I was able to get in on my, on my first application. And so that made it, made it pretty easy to pick. Nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So now we're going to fast forward the story. You're now you've, you, you've, you've got your, uh, uh, your, your RN and today, and, and, and this is, you know, when we were talking the other day on the phone, I was sitting there going, okay, you know, right now we have this pandemic uh, that are, are, this is not just a San Antonio issue, this is a global issue. And we had COVID-19. You are in the COVID-19 ICU at Methodist. And so I thought, I said, Sean, have you ever been on a podcast? And what did you say? I said, no, but let's do it. You're like, let's go. Come on. I want to be on a podcast. So I was like, listen, we got, we, we have to talk about this because number one, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nonsense out there, right? Then there's, there's, there's some hysteria. There's a lot of fear out there. And so what I wanted to come on and is, 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 is take this time. Let's really have a conversation and, and starting right out, you know, again, you were running the COVID-19 ICU uh, unit there at the hospital. So I'm curious, like, what are some of the biggest myths that are surrounding COVID-19 at this very moment? So um, I guess what got me there would be a good start. So I, yeah. I, I was a nurse for three years in a, uh, in a progressive care unit, which is a step down from ICU. And uh, many people who came from my unit had already moved over to the ICU and started advancing into the leadership there. And uh, they were always hassling me to go. So I went to the ICU in February of this year uh, and I did six weeks of orientation. And then, not, uh, not knowing what was coming, not knowing, you didn't know. No, no, we, we had heard, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't take the coronavirus as seriously as we should have um, at the beginning. 
And so it was, it wasn't even in, in my mind at the time when I switched to ICU, I just wanted to further my career. But I did my six weeks of orientation, did like two weeks on the floor. And then my, uh, my manager said, Hey, you know, you're a PRN employee, uh, you know, uh, not a full-time employee, but if you want to grab more shifts, you know, with unit, um, and, and they need people. And I was like, let's do that. Sounds like a chance to, to really kickstart my ICU career. So when I got there, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Uh, the, the stories had been coming in. Some of them were, were really, you know, like end of the world type stuff. And some of them were more, you know, from the other side of that, that it's, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. It's just going to kind of wash over and go away. But uh, as soon as I got there, um, you know, I started seeing the kind of patients on that floor. I realized that, yeah, whether or not it hits all of us or, or just a few of us, you have to take it seriously. And uh, I would say the biggest conception that leads into everybody's confusion here is that you don't know who is going to get the, the behind the, you know, it's going to be the older, the people who already have hypertension and diabetes and all these other things wrong with them. Um, you know, some of the patients that were on the floor when I first got there were in there, there was a, there was people in their twenties and their thirties. Uh, mm -hmm. if you looked at their history, it didn't have anything coming from progressive care and then trans transferring to ICU. I was used to seeing like a long rap sheet, you know, on every patient that came in. And uh, all of a sudden, we're looking at this like medical history, none, COVID-19 positive, acute respiratory failure, three days after symptom onset. And it was just surprising to me how, uh, how quickly it could grab anybody. Mm. So, so that myth of this is only attacking older people. Right. This is yeah. this is only affecting people was it, obviously I mean, that's that's I think I think there's still some young people that feel like, hey, I'm young. I, I, I don't have to worry about this. But but, you know, we, there's going to be some young people that are watching this. They're going to see this. What would you tell a, 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 as someone that's on the front line? What would you tell those young people right now? So to the young people, I would say uh, take good stock of who you think you are. Because there are people out there who are living their best life and they are catching this disease and it's, it's putting them down for a while, maybe even killing them. Mm. Uh, you know, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Yep. So uh, one of my heroes, uh, Hodger Gracie, is a world champion. Anybody who does jiu-jitsu knows who this guy is. He's 38 years old. He's fought in uh, MMA. He's won uh, you know, almost every accolade you can win in jiu-jitsu. His family, the Gracie family, ascribes to a very healthy lifestyle. You know, he doesn't have a lot of vices. And he just got over uh, a horrible two-week spell of uh, coronavirus to where he said he was bedridden and, and couldn't go anywhere. Oh That's my an elite-level athlete. And uh, so if you're like some guy, you know, nursing or selling homes or flipping burgers, you know, you're not really – you're not living that life. So I'd be careful. Yeah, yeah. That's – that is, uh, that's good advice. That's good advice for people who think that they're bulletproof because no one is bulletproof when it comes to this. So take us through those first, uh, uh, you know, those first couple of weeks. I mean, you're, 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 you're in this ICU uh, unit, you're seeing patients, you know, what, what, what were some of the things that really just uh, surprised you? What, what, what didn't surprise you? What were some of the things that you were noticing in those first few weeks and then now having time? Cause it's been how long now? 
that you've been in that um, uh, unit? Man, you know, I've lost track of time. Uh, I don't even know what date it is. I've been, I think I've been working in there for three, three straight weeks now. Okay. Yeah. Three or four weeks. Okay. And, but I've been working four or five shifts a week. So I'm just, I'm, I'm there, you know, two, three days in a row, come home, recharge the batteries and I'm right back there. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so in, in the beginning, what was surprising you? What, what really, what really caught your attention and what was like, Hey, you, you know, uh, uh, what was it that, that maybe didn't surprise you that you were like, you know what, uh, um, you know, we're going to get through this. So uh, aside from the, you know, the age and, and the, the population being hit, um, the onset of the symptoms really surprised me. So okay. people would show up to the, you know, we'd hear about them or we'd be reading their report from the ER that they were going to be transferred to us or intubated and then transferred to us. And they would be, you know, go from being on a, you know, a little bit of an oxygen demand and, and short of breath to being down and intubated, you know, within, within a day, maybe even half a day. Uh, and so there wasn't really a lot of room for error. If it was, if you were one of the people that this bug was going to grab and you started to be symptomatic, you needed to pay really close attention to that. Um, some of the theoretical treatments that were flying around out there, uh, you know, th those ideas, um, are, are hard to sort through. Mm -hmm. And so like watching my team, uh, you know, th there's a, a good team of intensivists of the doctors that are at our ICU. They're all, you know, considering each one of them carefully, but you realize real quick that they don't know much either yet. You know, mm. this is new, this is a new virus for them as well. And so from a caregiver's standpoint, it sort of created this, this environment that we're all in this together. You know, we're all starting from the same line going forward with this um, and learning as we go. And then the, uh, the quickness with which the, the data we were generating for our own unit uh, was, was, you know, assimilated and, and, guided us in, into our clinical course of action was just incredible and you know i don't know what what those guys are reading when they go home but when i went home you know every night uh, I, was, I was looking for you know latest evidence-based research or the best we can come up with yeah. uh, right now and um you know every day we'd come in and there'd, and there'd just be a new buzz talking about this this possible medication or this possible uh you know way to tweak the treatment um you know different looks at and, and different at different outcomes across the world. And uh, so all of that just, just kind of hit me by like, like a maelstrom, you know, it was, it was just one, one big whirlwind uh, of new information and, uh, and completely unpredictable patient population. Mm. So, so I, uh, uh, excuse my ignorance because uh, I definitely did not, you know, no medical training whatsoever. Uh, I was a, I was a elementary teacher. So, so yeah. let's, let's go. I, I'm, I'm thinking patient care. Somebody comes down with this, uh, uh, the, this virus. And here's what I hear. I hear shortness of breath. They're really struggling uh, um, to breathe. Now take me through the progression from that point. They get into uh, to a point where it's like, this is serious. Their oxygen level, they're not being able to breathe properly. And then, and then describe what that looks like. What are the, what usually kind of the, are the things that happen to a patient like that? And then to the point where they need to be, and you said intubated, right? Is that right? Did I say right. that right? Yeah. So uh, we, 
for for purposes of safety, uh, we really pushed early innovation because uh, if you have to do it emergent in an emergency, then uh, people have to move quickly. Uh, as soon as you the whole procedure kicks up a lot of air um, that's been either in the patient or very close to their airway, and it puts everybody in the room at risk. So when we saw them starting to deteriorate, we were um, making that push for, you know, early innovation so that we could plan it out and get the room set up, have the patient in the right position, have the staff dressed up appropriately and, um, and go forward with a good plan in place. But that wasn't always, you know, an option for, for every patient because the progression could be very quickly. You could, you could have a fever for a few days wake up one morning and be short of breath uh, tell, you know, call into the hospital, tell them what's going on. And they say, yeah, you should probably come in. By the time you get to the ER, you're, you know, you're, you're clutching at your chest and gasping. They get through their assessment. Wow. You're already on oxygen. And then, you know, a doctor's coming and talking to you and they're saying, Hey, we gotta, you know, we, we, we gotta do this now. Wow. Um, that would be an, an ideal like clinical progression. But some of the patients we've been getting from some of the outlying areas you know, like that don't have their own regional medical centers available. You know, I, I've read some pretty interesting notes with where anything from a person uh, didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. So they didn't go to the hospital and then they find them on their floor the next day unresponsive and they have to just, you know, EMS has to innovate them. And, you know, God knows what those guys had to, had to be go going through their head when they're sitting there, you know, wondering if this is the COVID-19 patient that's going to get them sick. Right. Um, to hospitals that maybe had a patient well under control uh, initially, but they don't have the resources to, to provide that next level of care, that, that, that high level critical care. And when they, by the time they realize it, they, they're calling a helicopter and flying them to us. Mm -hmm. So it, there was a lot of, a lot of speed with which it could grab you. And then again, you know, to come circle back around to the unpredictability, there were people, you know, who came in short of breath, put them on oxygen, thought for sure, hey, you know, this is the next one that's going to be intubated, be put on a ventilator. And they just, you know, sat there breathing, breathing through a mask for a day or two. And then they just kind of got better. And they just got up and walked out. Wow. Uh, pretty close. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some quarantining issues in there, but yeah, True. for the most part. Right. So, so when you are, uh, and it's it, when you're intubated, right? intubated, is that how you say it? Yeah. When that, when that happens, that's basically, is that the breathing tube? Is that the ventilator that everybody's talking about? So the intubation is the tube okay. and it goes into your airway. Um, and then the, that is a, keeps your upper airway to your lower airway connected. The uh, ventilator is the actual machine that we would use to, to breathe for you basically. Okay. Okay. So that, that in, 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 when you, when you put that tube in, that's basically the start of getting it prepared so that you can put the ventilator on them. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Right. Cause without that, you can't do the ventilator. I generally, no, there's some exceptions to that, but yeah, generally speaking, no. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So now, uh, you know, obviously you're seeing, I mean, you're seeing patients from all different walks of life, right? You're, they're, this is not, this is not a, um, you know, the, the COVID-19 is not, you know, going after any particular uh, uh, area. But one of the things that I read and I, I was very curious and it is that obesity has become a, a massive kind of like um, risk 
you know, line of risk for this. And is, has that been something that you've seen uh, from, from that standpoint in, 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 um, with the patients that you've seen? Uh, any, any kind of respiratory issue will be potentially compounded by obesity. So, you know, your, your body relies on a, a different difference in pressure from the outer atmosphere to the inner atmosphere to, to open up and expand your lungs. And um, part of that pressure differential comes from your own mus muscle activity. So you have a respiratory drive. And the bigger you are, the more difficult it is for you to lift your own weight off of your lungs to allow them to expand from that outside pressure. In addition to that, obesity comes with a lot of other uh, uh, baggage. You know, it's rarely, it rarely comes, you know, nicely wrapped up and neat in its own little package. You've got high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Um, you know, what got you to obesity? Was it, a, was it diabetes because you eat a lot? more sugar than you should be, or you were born with diabetes and you, your blood sugar isn't controlled. Mm. Um, you know, the, the sedentary lifestyle that's often, not always, but often associated with obesity can be, uh, is just detrimental in general. It's bad for mm. your immune system, your overall health, your overall cardiovascular health is already compromised. So I've heard some early reports trying to tie obesity on its own directly into a COVID-19 risk of illness or risk of developing serious illness. Mm -hmm. But I would say that, it, you know, if you follow any other pneumonia, flu, you know, uh, bronchitis, any other respiratory disease, you'd probably find pretty similar uh, information on that as well. Got it. So they, it, it, that, that's not, uh, uh, you haven't seen that play out where that's one of the biggest factors that have played out with your patients. It's not any more of a surprise to me than it would be in, in general, in a general sick patient. I would see just as many flu patients have complications because of obesity as I would COVID-19. Um, okay. So yes, it's there, but it's not, uh, it's not a surprise, I guess. And what, what do you think, you know, when you, when you look at, when you look at all of the, because obviously this, I mean, this is a novel virus, right? And so from a, from the standpoint of, uh, uh something like this coming in, you know, uh, coming in and, and, and doing the destruction that it's done. My, my, my thought is, is that, you know, plan of treatment can, as you said earlier, you said you, you, you're kind of looking at all options. You're looking at all different ways. Was there any plan of action that you were taking that you were really like, oh, wow, I, you know, that I, you had an idea that this would work, but you were really surprised that it did work? Um. No. And yes. Okay. Yes and no, uh, I'm pretty new to the ICU. And so a lot of what they do and a lot of the uh, possible treatments out there were still coming at me um, pretty fresh. So a lot of it surprised me in, in general. But um, I would say that we have, I have seen several patients starting to be bridged to a, um, a procedure and a treatment called ECMO, which is a uh, uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. It's a, um, it's, they take blood and run it out of one artery, oxygenate it through an external machine and pump it back in through another artery. Wow. Uh, I think tradition, I think traditionally it was used for, uh, a lot of heart surgeries and, um, neonatal, you know, ICU care. Um, don't quote me on too much of that, Yeah. but we have seen a bridge to that uh, as being a possible front treatment. And it certainly has seen a lot of success very, 
you know, very early in our ICU. And I would say our outcomes, you know, if you look at the, the patients we are getting at various stages in the disease, and then you look at the, the outcomes, the, the hospital stay, the ventilator time, or even foregoing the ventilator completely, uh, compared to what we're seeing in other areas of the nation and the world, you know, our hospital is really doing a good job. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Now, um, the, uh, you know, I, I mentioned when we were talking the other day, I mentioned the laying on the stomach. Like I, like I had heard that that mm. was something that was, uh, that they were experimenting with that. Can you talk to that a little bit about the idea of laying on the stomach? So I have very limited experience with that. It's called proning, uh, proning, you know, prone okay. condition. Um, I've, uh, my very first week on the ICU, we proned a patient who had a, a, a respiratory failure. Um, from a different disease, but we uh, basically they lay you flat for a, a period of anywhere from 12 to 18 hours. Uh, ideally, it would be in a bed designed for that, you know, so that because your your face and your uh, the front of your body is not really meant to be in that position for very long. So yeah. they have specialty beds that you you pat them up really good so that they don't develop blisters and bed sores, and you. You just wrote them, you know, flip them over like a rotisserie chicken and, yeah. and let them breathe. And what it does is it lets the back half of the lungs open up more easily. Ah. So you start clearing out some of the issues going on back there. Gotcha. The rest of the treatment indications and, and, and reasonings for uh, I'm not really 100% on. That's a, yeah. a pretty basic idea of it. Got it. So, okay. So, you know, in San Antonio, uh, um, uh, you know, obviously we have shelter in place. We have the so social distancing. I don't know if you've been to an HEB recently, right? We love HEB. Mm -hmm. HEB, listen, you guys are killing it. Thank you. Um, I, I, and I, I love what they're doing for their workers. If you've seen, yeah, they've got like this shield across uh, for the cashiers. Everything is very, you know, again, social distancing ideas. Um, what role do you think that, that this has played? Because our numbers, obviously, we're, we're nowhere near where the numbers that we thought we were going to hit. Mm -hmm. do you, uh, uh, in, in regard to that, how do you see that social distancing has, has played out in helping that? Well, it's hard to say. Um, you know, you only get one chance to do anything. And so you, can, you can't really, you don't get to look back and say, well, we, this could have been better or could have been worse. But, you know, compared to a lot of other areas um, in America and maybe even in the world, places that have adopted the social distancing policies before they got hit have seen their numbers trickle in a little bit more slowly. I am suspicious that, it, that until a vaccine is found, a definitive care, you know, a definitive form of care for this is found, right. that... Uh, the same that people are going to get sick whether it's over a long period of time or whether it's all at once um and so when and how we start choosing to open things back up they're going to have to take that into consideration the real key though to the early su success we've seen with our our policies uh, in the city and, and in the state is that it has given hospitals a chance to uh to take patients you know, a little bit more slowly, especially initially while we were trying to figure out what to do. I, I already said that my hospital is doing a, a really good job uh, with the care of these patients. And a lot of that has to do with the quality of the team there and the leadership. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it also has to do with the fact that we had a nice, slow, steady stream at the very beginning of this to where we could develop our 
our uh, our you know our policies as far as protecting the workers, protecting the patient, how to take care of them. All of that had a lot more time to be developed. And so, as long as you can keep the number of patients coming in smaller than the number of beds yeah available you're doing pretty good and so so then you i mean really that that is that is probably one one of the the greatest effects of the social distancing is mm-hmm. keeping the hospitals with right because i remember them talking about that in the beginning but that has probably been one of the biggest ways in san antonio that we've been able to kind of flatten that idea and that curve so that our our hospitals can create the protocol in the systems to deal with what we're dealing with. That makes right. sense. That yeah. makes total and sense. Yet, you have to think, like, it's not just a question of we have 14 hospital beds, uh, critical care beds at my hospital, and 20 at another one, and five at another. It's not just a question of keeping people um, out of those, slowing down how many people get to those beds. You also have to think that, you know, a COVID-19 patient in serious condition could be be in the hospital for two three weeks Mm. and so they're not it's not just a question of how many patients per day are going in you got to start tacking on you got to start looking back and tacking on more days based on the hospital stay times and so when you when you overwhelm a system like that you're not you're going to have run into some kind of problem like once the beds are full either you're looking at hospitals having to decide to discharge early or downgrade early and maybe that person's not ready and they don't have such a good outcome from that or a hospital might have to, you know, say, no, we're not like we're full. And then where is this person going to go? Um, and, and maybe they don't get to go to a critical care unit or they don't get a ventilator or they don't get, you know, they don't get a, a doctor who has as much time or a nurse who has as much time to spend with them. And so, you know, all of those factors come into play. And so far, San Antonio is doing really well. Um, you know, overall, I, you know, my condolences to the families who weren't able to get through this but um as a city as a, as a community as a whole yeah. we're doing pretty good yeah i i agree i mean obviously you're 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 gonna have some people that just decide that they just want to you know do their own thing right but i think as a as a whole it seems like san antonio's really bought into this idea of sheltering in place and 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 I will say that uh, for those of you listening to this podcast and you're, you're, you're sitting there and you're going, you know, okay, well, how much longer can we do this, right? Like how, like, is this going to go on forever? And no, it's not, but we, but we need to be, uh, well, what would you say to them in terms of that? You know, Sean, for, so somebody's sitting there going, you know, how long is this going to take, you know, being that you are on the front lines, what would you say to them? I would say that it's fair for them to be uh, concerned, especially people who who aren't fortunate enough to have a job right now or who, uh, you know, I feel for the people who run a business and they've seen their, um, their clientele go away. I feel, I feel really strongly for all of the the servers out there in the bar and and restaurant community. I I did that for, for several years in Houston and uh, I can't, you know, I never planned ahead very far. I can't imagine going, you know, a month, two months without tips, without a that small paycheck that comes afterwards. And so I, I feel for them. Um, sooner or later, we're going to, you know, we as a society, you know, whether it's at the city, state or, or national level are going to have to decide, you know, what the, when we can't take, we can't wait anymore. Um, I, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. 
uh, I have my own personal opinions about it, but uh, I don't, you know, being a part of the healthcare community, I don't want to put those out there. Um, I'd rather just give, you know, help out as, as much as I can until we, we come to whatever decision we're going to make. Um, but hopefully, you know, the, there is enough uh, of an effort early on uh, and enough clinical data comes in early on to support the idea of, you know, immunity after infection of, um, of good, good frontline care uh, and maybe even a vaccine down the road that we won't have to take too much of a hit or at least too much more of a hit. Right. But then again, if you're not the one getting hit, it's not, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, it's tough. And, 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 right. you know, definitely I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, for those of you in the restaurant uh, industry, we're definitely, you know, we're pulling for you. Um, you know, I've, I, I, when I, when I go out to get uh, my pizza, you know, I got to give it up to center court pizza right down the street here from where I live, you know, one of the best pizzas. Um, they're not paying for this, but if, if you live in the Stone Oak area, <laughs> listen to me, go get center court pizza. It's the best pizza out here. We, my family, we absolutely love that pizza. And every time we go, I love to leave a, a, a tip just to say thank you to them for what they're doing. Uh, but for those of you that are worried and concerned, um, Listen, we don't know. We don't know when this, uh, this shelter in place is going to end, but we do know this as, as someone that's on the front lines, what we've done has helped those on the front lines prepare and to get ready so that we know how to fight this COVID-19. Would you agree with that, Sean? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from a care caregiver standpoint, um, what we've done has helped a lot. If you look at cities like New York and New Orleans and maybe even early on in the Seattle area, you know, they, they got, they were hit so fast uh, that they didn't have time to put together um, a good plan. And so, you know, it's a lot harder to, it's a lot harder to, to come up with a good game plan. Uh, you know, when it's already the, it's already past halftime and you're and you're down 30 to nothing, right. You have different, yeah. you don't have the luxury of sitting in the room ahead of time and, and putting up, you know, a bunch of different, you know, play charts and all that. You, you're, you're stuck in the middle of it, and a lot of your resources that would be helping make those decisions are exhausted. And so we've been really fortunate that we had that uh, a slower, a slower um, initial wave come in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now switching gears just a second because you know one of the big things is is that everybody in San Antonio is like, okay, how do how do we thank our for our frontline workers? You know what I mean? Like, like obviously there's a toll because here's what I I want to I don't think most people understand what you have to go through when you get home because obviously you have you have a, a family, you have your wife, you have your son. Liam is. Mm -hmm awesome so you get home you now have this you know you're working in a, 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 a you know this COVID ICU unit and now you're getting home talk about that process of what you have to go through in order to get back to your family and be with them and feel safe um well we don't 100 percent feel safe um no healthcare worker that's going through this does especially workers who are direct who are directly in contact with these patients i my wife and I, she's also uh, in healthcare. She's been on your show. She's a PA and she's yep. currently working at the uh, emergency room at the, at the veterans hospital here in town. Um, we, when we knew we were both going to be working with these patients, we, we talked about it and we had some hard decisions to make. Uh, you know, 
we looked at the data and kids don't seem to be affected uh, so far, you know, and we pray that that continues. Um, but we thought maybe it'd be better for Liam just because the city was kind of going bonkers at the beginning of this uh, to, to send him to go live with my, you know, with my mom in uh, New Mexico. She lives out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, but then we thought, well, we'd be sending this healthy young kid who's probably not going to get sick. And what if he's picked up the bug already, he takes it to my grandparents. And so th those were the kind of decisions we had to make. And, and when we uh, ultimately decided to stay together as a family, we, you know, we said, well, either, either our family's made for this world or it isn't, but these people need our help. Um, going forward, the, the hospital has been great in that I get a chance to shower. Uh, they provide us scrubs, um, surgical scrubs, so we don't have to wear our own scrubs to work. Mm. I get a chance to shower, clean up, put on my own clothes before I leave the hospital. Um, I carry some uh, bleach and napkins in my car um, and take down the bottom of my shoes uh, before I uh, before I get go into the house. Um, Shakira, you know, she does a lot of the same. But, you know, we worry that we could have picked up the, you know, that we could be those silent carriers mm. um, from all the, you, no matter how safe you are, there's always the chance that you get you, you're not doing something right or, you know, an emergency happens and you just don't, you move too fast and you don't quite see what's going on. So, you know, it's not, I'm not going to tell you, I feel, I feel great every night. I just, you know, cross my fingers that we're, that we're good for another day. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, uh, I appreciate you sharing that story, uh, Sean, just the idea of, of, you know, the, even the thought of like having to separate as a family you know what I mean? And, and, and send your son. I just, I was, I, I just, I sit here and, and, and go, you know, like that, I can't imagine having to make that decision or the thought of making that decision, you know? And, um, and so, you know, the, the people listening, the people that are wanting to know how they can help and how they can support, you know, people that are on the front lines that you are, are you're, you're there, you're risking your life with this, you know, with helping other people. How can people, because there's a stress with this, and, 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 and maybe you could talk a little bit about that stress with this idea. You've talked about it a little bit, but, but, but how can we help frontline you know, people that are on the front line with this stress and, 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 and from our standpoint, helping you, what can we do? So we, we get a lot of help already. Um, you know, people, there's no end to the, uh, to the ideas people come up with to, to support us. We get a basket of food from at least one to two restaurants a day, random wow. area restaurants, uh, man, see now I wish I could think of some so I could say thanks on your podcast, but yeah there's been some pretty good, there's been a lot of outpouring. So every day I go in and I'm, I'm putting on pound after pound working in this uh, ICU cause I'm eating, you know, <laughs> turkey sandwiches and bags of chips and cheeseburgers. Um, there's a family in Austin that's been coordinating, sending us um, soap and shampoos for those, you know, after shift showers. So there's a, just a wall of hygiene products in our, in the employee bathroom um, at the hospital. We get letters, uh, we get pictures drawn, sent to us. Um, people say thank you like, all the time whenever they, they find out what we do. Um, you know, it, this is maybe like a little bit bigger than the question was intended to be, but most of us that are working in this are buried in it right now. Uh, you know, I went from working two to three shifts a week to working four to five. I know guys that are working 100, 120 hours a week. I'm sure some of the doctors are working even more. 
Mm. Uh, so we're not really seeing what's going on around us too much. So if you really, really want to help, like give us something to come back to, that's, that makes sense. So, you know, we were talking about our, uh, about those bartenders and servers, you know, who maybe that your favorite bartender is, doesn't get to work his $200 Friday night anymore. He's running food back and forth in the, in the to-go parking at Chewy's or something like that. And, and he's, you know, doing it for scraps. So, you know, if you have the means, you know, look for someone like that and help them out. Uh, if there's a local business, if you were a member of a gym, you know, shout out to Rodrigo Pinero Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, keep paying your dues because they're not going to be there for you to pick back up that, you know, your, your passion if, if they can't stay open. Um, those are the kind of things I would say would really, uh, would mean a lot. Even if you ask the average frontline healthcare worker, uh, the same question, they might not say that, but, and, and they might not even realize it when they come back from all of this, but you know, we'd like to have our San Antonio back. That is, uh, I love that, uh, that mindset, right? Let's take care of the people so that when, when, when we do come out of this, right, that, that the frontline people have that place to go, their favorite place to go. And so it's, a, it's, it's kind of our responsibility uh, here in San Antonio to take care of some of these restaurants, take care of some of these places that are offering opportunities Let's go and take care of them so that our frontline people have that place to go. I love that idea. Yeah, I love that idea. We need to come up with a name for it. I'm going to leave you in charge of that, Sean. We need to come up with a name man. for it. I love that, man. I love I that. Know. I'll do my best, but you're probably, you're the one, you're the, you're the creative genius behind all this. Yeah, no, I love that idea. So, you know, you know, how, I'm curious, you know, your son, uh, Liam is, is he seven or eight? Liam? Eight. Eight. So, okay, this is, you know, again, I, I don't like, what's that conversation like that you're having? Because I know for my son right now, this is, this has been one of the hardest things that we've ever gone through, right? Because, you know, he's not being able to see his friends. He's not being able to go and, and, and have that interaction that he normally would have. And, and it's, you can feel it. And so what, what is that conversation like with Liam for you? Um, so anytime he, and it's frequent, anytime he says he wants to go have a play date or see somebody or go to the movies or go to Chuck E. Cheese, you know, I tell him, well, we can't. And you, Why not, Dad? Well, you know, people are, you know, we can't, the city shut down. People are getting sick. And he just, he usually just says, I hate Corona. And then uh, I said, well, Daddy, will you play with me? And, you know, we just look for just things to do together. Um, I know my son and I, even with me working twice the workload I used to have, my son and I have gone on more uh, long walks through the park, um, played more games at Frisbee now than we ever did before. So there is some like, uh, like maybe some silver lining on the cloud there. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, he gets stir crazy and we just, we just try to, we just try to rechannel it. Um, we're now Shakira and I are both part-time teachers for, yeah. <laughs> at close school <laughs> join the club brother join the club. we didn't realize we didn't even realize our degree covered that that's but right here we are teaching uh teaching second grade um and uh, with the great support from our you know from our teachers they email us great curriculum and they they try to organize zooms like this for the kids yeah. um and you know i've seen this this platform become really creative uh so my jujitsu gym uh, liam's also a member uh, they have 
uh, classes where the instructors will get on and, and zoom the whole class and they'll, they'll do little exercises here and there. Oh, that's cool. Um, fortunately, you know, for these kids, uh, and maybe unfortunately for us as parents, this happened in the technological age. So they have internet and zoom and, and they're my boys upstairs right now playing Fortnite on the headset with your boy. That's right. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, if this had happened, I, I get it. It's hard on him, but as a, you know, I'm 40 years old looking back at my childhood, if this had happened, I would have been like, what are you complaining about, bro? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Stuck in the house <laughs> with a 13 channel TV and a rotary phone, man. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we would have, it would have been a, yeah, he, they're, they're definitely way more blessed than we were. That is for sure with what they have. That is for sure. So, you know, to wrap this up, you know, I, I, I think to me that the thing that I'm thinking, Sean is like, number one, I want to say thank you, man. Um, when we talked the other day, I just, there's something that I was just like, man, I, I want to talk to Sean and just get him to share a little bit about what he's going through. Uh, but also because, you know, I know you and I'm like, I want to share some of that conversation with people that I know. And so I just want to say thank you, man, for sharing this with us. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, the ability to kind of recap, you know, so we're doing this Zoom. The next right. time we get together, I want to be in the studio, right? Okay. Maybe with some bourbon. I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit of bourbon somewhere, but, but we get to have this face-to-face -face and have this conversation again. It's like, hey, what did we learn from COVID-19? You know, like maybe it's a month from now, two months from now. Hopefully it's shorter. But, but what did we learn from all of this and what we've gone through? I'm hoping that you'd be open to something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yes. All right. So last but not least, here's a question that I like to ask at the, at the end. Uh, typically, you know, um, have you, you've heard of uh, Tim Ferriss, right? He's got a book called uh, Tribe of Mentors. And it's, it's a book where he asks all of these, like, uh, I can't remember how many questions it is. I think it's 11. Um, but so one of the questions is, tell me the book. And I didn't preface this. So the, I always like to catch people off guard with this question. So tell me the book that you, that has meant the most to you that you've gifted to other people and why? Oh, uh, well, you know, this one already. <laughs> so, uh, 12 rules for life by Jordan Peterson and man, that can be depending on what circle you're in, that can be controversial. But if, you know, if you take the stories aside and you look and you read the book and you get to know the man, uh, you know, he's got a lot to say, especially for, for men. And I'm not trying to separate us from the women, but, you know, we need our focus too. And, yeah. and he's just been great. Yeah. That is such a good book. And we got to share a cool experience with that. So for those of you that don't know, the only reason I knew about this book is because of Sean. Sean gave me this book. And I, I, I think I have it on my bookshelf. I think it's behind me in my bookshelf here. Oh, man, I got uh, mine right here. Oh, there it is. Uh, Hold on. Yes. Look, I, I got mine right oh, here. If I reach Shame, for it, I'm going to get disconnected. Yes. But, but my book is right over there. But here's the cool thing that happened. So Sean gives me this amazing book. I start reading it and I am just like addicted to it. I am just uh, loving the book. And um, then I have another friend and Kevin Crawford for, uh, you know, if Kevin Crawford, if you see this man, we, Sean and I just want to say thank you because what yes, happens, we get to go Very see him live. How nuts was that? He came to the, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the Tobin center 
And we got yeah. to hear, I guess, what do you call that? The 13th rule, you know, responsibility, right? Yeah. Is the pathway mm -hmm. to meaning. And what an amazing experience. It was great. I, uh, when you told me you had an extra ticket to see Jordan Peterson, uh, I didn't even, like, I said yes before I even knew a day. Right. And then uh, when you took me there to the Tobin, and I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, great. We're going to have, like, a little movie theater seat or whatever. And you take me up to that, like, balcony seat overlooking the stage. Kevin, right? Yeah. Kevin thank Crawford. Much. Thank yeah. you very much. That was, uh, that was pretty cool. It was yeah. an experience, man. And yeah. I 100% I, I agree. That book is fantastic. It's, it's a meaty read, but it is a worthwhile read. Sean, listen, my man, I want to thank you for being on TM3 Impact. And thank you for your service. Please tell uh, Shakira, thank you for her service with what she's doing. She is at the ER for the VA. Is that correct? Right. And so she is on the front lines of this as well. And last but not least, we got to thank Liam. Yes. We got to thank Little Liam. Man. You know, yeah. Liam, mm -hmm. man, he has been tearing it up in Fortnite with my son and, 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 and allowing us, both of them are allowing us to make this happen. So we want to thank them as well. Sean, thank you, buddy. Can't wait to do this in person. Yeah, absolutely. Come on. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. We'll see you.